0: Let's um, let's talk about Snickers and life-changing things. Snickers is my favorite chocolate bar; it's my favorite snack. (coughs) Truth be told, in high school and university, I ate one of these every single day, along with a can of Coke. And I vividly remember taking the bus home from Yorkdale. I would ride my motorcycle to U of T. Uh, In the warm season, and then when it got cold, I would take the bus to Yorkdale and then the subway south to U of T. And I vividly remember sitting on a bench at the Yorkdale bus stop. The bench is actually still there. And uh, opening up my Snickers for the day and my can of Coke and realizing, this is probably not a very good life plan. (laughs) (laughs) And so right then and there, I stopped eating them. I stopped drinking Coke. In fact, I stopped drinking pop except on, you know, special occasions. And uh, reduced my Snickers intake to almost nothing. I still miss them. I lost 10 pounds in like eight weeks. It was crazy. <laughs> I love Snickers. It's, it's a life-changing snack. Funny, right? I'm not the only one who feels that way. Have you seen the Snickers ads that are out right now where someone's like totally useless and crazy and whatever and they get a Snickers and ooh, they're back. <laughs> Snickers and life-changing things. Being born is pretty life-changing, right? We don't remember it, right? Life-changing moment. Biker's there with their little one. It's crazy, right? Being born is a pretty life-changing event. Starting to walk also, especially for the parents. Remember when your kids start walking? It's over. (laughs) Got these baby gates blocking everything off. They can reach on the counter. Got to baby-proof your house. until they can start walking. Just put them in a jumper, they're jumping, they're harmless. Whatever, put them in a playpen, they're good. Once they start walking, it's it's over, walking. It's a life-changing moment. Learn to talk. Kids start talking, it's crazy. My daughter, Sarah, she's serving in Grace Kids. She talked. The whole way to church. I like to like, drive up to Grace, quietly listening to worship music, but my daughter's with me and she's more important than me, so I just, yes, dear. I just listen to her talk the whole time. She started talking, she hasn't stopped. Starting to talk, you can communicate. I love going to the Y, and when I finish working out at the Y, I'm in the change room and I love hearing all the different languages. There's often two or three or four languages being spoken in the change room. What I love about it is I don't understand what they're saying, but I understand what they're saying because all the little boys are saying the same things to their daddy that I said when I was them because they learn to talk, and it's a life-changing thing. School is pretty life-changing. Remember school? It's pretty fun. You start to learn what authority is, how to fight against it, <laughs> when to bow the knee to it. School is pretty fun. You start to figure out who you are, maybe you discover a talent or two. Good at English, not so good at math. How about your first kiss? remember your first kiss? I'm ashamed, but my first kiss was at youth group. We kind of snuck into the prayer room, and the rest is history. <laughs> and Nikki says it wasn't her. It was uh, good old Sherry Emmons. Sweet girl, we're still friends to this day. It was a good first kiss, too. I was like, wow, that's what all the fuss is about. Awesome. I was 14. I was the happiest man alive. First kiss, I'm telling you, it's a life-changing thing. It really is. Like, it does not disappoint. High school, that'll change your life. Right? You start figuring out, like, these talents and things that you do. You start figuring out, like, oh, I can put these together into, like, a momentum thing. I can combine this with that, and all of a sudden, this happens. You start putting it together in high school. Adulthood, absolutely life-changing. Most of us are still there. Right? Even 70-plus, 80-plus, you're still figuring this whole adult thing out. Very difficult. I often say to Nikki jokingly, I should have paid more attention in home ec. I kind of like made the pizza like not really paying attention. But they didn't teach you what I needed to know. Adulthood is a life-changing thing. Marriage will absolutely change your life. For better or for worse, it will absolutely change your life. Some of your marriage stories are beautiful. Some of your marriage stories are ugly. Some of your marriage stories have ended because of death or divorce. Some of your marriage stories haven't yet begun. But marriage is absolutely life-changing. The process whereby the two shall become one flesh. It's absolutely crazy. Kids, I talk a lot about how much kids change your life. All I've got to say to that is, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. When you get a career, that's life-changing. What's the difference between a job and a career, right? A job, you're just kind of trading away the hours of your life for money. When you get into a career, you're kind of aligning your gifts with doing work for which you're compensated. When you get into a career, it's pretty exciting. Nikki sent me a text this week. She's like starting to do the thing that she's been studying this last year. and She's like, I can't believe I'm going to get to do this, and I'm going to get paid. It's amazing. Because it's she's walking now into a career, and it's an absolutely life-changing thing. Maybe you've experienced a life-changing diagnosis. Maybe you been sitting here this morning, and that's you. Life-changing. Not what you expected, not what you were planning on. The first time you really experienced failure or loss. Of course, life isn't all difficult. There are good moments once in a while. You ever had a life-changing success? Those are pretty awesome. Next time you have one, make sure you notice it, because it's not going to last, but it's great while it lasts. Make sure you see the glory of God in that beautiful moment of success. And you can store that away for the future, because when you find yourself next in a difficult situation, you can look back with thanksgiving to that beautiful moment that God gave you by His grace. Success its life-changing. Look, there are simpler things, too. You ever seen a life-changing sunset? You know, the sunset can't change your life. Sure it can. I've seen some. They're just so awesome that it, they make you pause. You kind of have to sit down. And you're like, there must be a God. Anytime a human being kind of says that to themselves in a way that they can't deny because they said it, that's life changing. And sunsets can do that. You ever anchored in a secluded cove, bringing in a slightly more rarefied air? Or Luki on your canoe trips with your pops. You guys ever canoed into like a secluded cove where no one else is there? You pull the canoe up on the rock, and you sit down by the fire, and all you hear is silence. It's epic. It's life-changing. Secluded Cove can do that to you, or a kind smile, or even a nice meal, or your favorite snack. <laughs> I'm going to take a bite out of this one later. What I find interesting about life change is that it happens moment by moment. Have you noticed this? It's uh, gradual before it's sudden. Am I Right? It feels sudden when it happens, but if you look back afterwards, you're like, oh, we were kind of building towards that. It's gradual before it's sudden. But the thing about life change is it's happening. And here's the question that I want you to wrestle with when it comes to life change. Do you see it? Do you see it happening around you? How does what you believe impact upon it? And are you acting on it? Today's text will help with those three questions. This is the beautiful, the epic, the famous, Mark chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he uh, ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim it in the Decapolis region, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet, and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death, come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. She was no better off, but grew worse. She'd heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples, who are always missing the point, said to him, "'You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, "'Who touched me? They're just like me.' And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, "'Daughter,' love that he calls her daughter, "'your faith has made you well. "'Go in peace and be healed of your disease.' While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, "'Your daughter is dead. "'Why trouble the teacher any further?' But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and screaming. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went into where the girl was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talita, kumi," which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up, whoo, somebody shout, and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And then he told them to give her a snack. That's my interpretation at the end. (laughs) <laughs> see, believe, act learning to recognize and then seize a life-changing moment first thing you got to do is see God like the Gadarene demoniac it's the poor fellow we meet in verses 1 through 20 I started crying at breakfast this morning because I was thinking about him this poor, tormented soul You learn something interesting about him in verse 2. That brings him a little closer to you in terms of his applicability to your life. Jesus lands on the shores. The area of the Gadarenes is on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. I've been there many times. The hills are quite foreboding looking. It's kind of a scary looking part of the region. It's probably because I know the story from my youth, so I'm like, ooh, this is where the Legion was. Northeast side of the lake. Jesus alights on the ground as soon as he does. There met him, verse 2, out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So, first key point, simple one. Demons and demon possession are real. It's a real thing. Now, this is difficult for us because many of us have never really experienced anything demonic, let alone out and out supernatural. So if you're listening to me and you're thinking, I've never really experienced anything that supernatural, Todd. Fair enough. But have you ever been trapped by death? Or you know someone who has been? Again, the story gets closer to us if we look a little closely at verses 3 through 5. This man, this Gadarene man, verse 3, lived among the tombs. And night and day, verse 5, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. You may never have seen a demon, but have you ever met anybody who lives in the midst of death? They live in the tombs. Have you ever met anybody who's always in despair? Like this man, crying out day and night. Does that sound like our world or what? People living in unrelenting, constant despair. Always cutting himself with stones. In the Greek, it sounds like he's casting himself upon the stones. Not just cutting himself like, you know, one might with a knife or a blade, but throwing himself upon the stones, hurting himself upon the rocks. It says in the original language. You ever met anyone trapped in self-harm? Does this sound at all like our world, surrounded by death and dying, always in despair, hurting ourselves? You may not have seen a demon But friend, you see the consequences of evil all around you, all the time. If you want to recognize and seize a life-changing moment, first realize that you need it because evil is real and at work in the world around you. And if you don't belong to Jesus, it's possible that evil is working within you. Try that one on for size. Think about your friends who don't know Jesus and imagine how peaceless their life is. Absolutely no defense against the dark. Recognize that you need help. So um, how do I fix it? I love Mark 5. It's so practical. It's so simple and straightforward. How do I fix it? See God and come running. This is what happens in verses 6 through 9. And when he saw Jesus... From afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. This demon-possessed man saw Jesus. And the moment he saw Jesus, recognizing him for who he was, he runs to Jesus. And then knowing implicitly the implications of who Jesus was, he falls at his feet and worships him. In the original language here, fell at his feet is proskuneste. And I've told you at least a dozen times what the root word is for worship. Is it ringing in your ears? Proskuneo, right? To come close and kiss, to bow the knee and kiss, proscuneo. So this demon-possessed man runs to Jesus, falls at his feet, and he proscunestes, he worships him. If you want to recognize and seize a life-changing moment, see God, run, and don't walk to him, and get to worshiping. Okay, simple point here, but one that hopefully finds a home in your heart. Um, this legion of demons okay so legion a Roman legion was 5,000 soldiers in this story when Jesus cast the demon out he sends them into 2,000 pigs it's pretty crazy when I read that I was like does that mean that animals have like a spiritual apparatus that can receive something from the spirit world I was like well I guess so that's what it seems like it's like whoa that's heavy maybe all dogs do go to heaven <laughs> <laughs> and he's like told ya <laughs> So this legion knows who Jesus is and understands the implication of who Jesus is, and therefore it bows the knee in worship. Um, if even demons worship Jesus, what are you waiting for? I'm just saying, I'm just making a suggestion. Like, and look, worship is not just restricted to worship in the corporate context. But the reason we worship in the corporate context is because that's the picture we see of worship in the scriptures. That God is seated on his throne and about his throne is a throng that is busily worshiping him day and night. Crying out, holy, 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 Lord God almighty, who was and is and is to come. The whole earth is full of his glory. So we practice. We practice. You're like, why do I come to church? To practice. To practice. And the beautiful thing is when you practice for eternity, eternity shows up. And when eternity shows up in your heart, your whole life changes. So, like, look, if you haven't been worshiping, what are you waiting for? Like, don't get outdone by a bunch of demons. Is that powerful or what? Now, look, there's some practical things you can do. Because if you don't recognize God, it's because you don't know who he is. Makes sense. You're like greeting the queen and you don't even know it's the queen. Because you spend no time studying British history. Or else you'd be like, this is the queen! Hello! Right? If you don't recognize God, it's because you don't know who he is. If you don't know who he is, it's because you don't know your Bible. You're like, you're hammering this Bible thing. Yes, I am. I'm not stopping anytime soon. Because it's just so clear. You don't know who he is because you don't know your Bible. If you don't know your Bible, it's because you don't read it. It's like simple. Look, there's a very good chance that your devotional life sucks because you're so busy trying to break free of your chains yourself that you don't have the time to recognize that the chain breaker done showed up. Y'all hear me? So busy trying to break your chains when a demon-possessed man always breaking his chains, trying to break your chains? Meanwhile, you missed the fact that the chain breaker just showed up. Demon knows who he is. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? My dad, who was here in the first service, reminded me that this is the first profession of faith in who Jesus is. This is before Peter says, you are the son of the Most High God. He probably learned it from the demon-possessed man. The demon is the first one to recognize who this man is. This is the God man. He's like, what do you have to do with me? Evil knows exactly who Jesus is and what he's come to do. How about you? Oh, man. did you fall as short as I do? Somebody say yes. Okay, thank you. I thought I was the only one. I write this and then I preach it twice. And every time I preach it, I'm like, Dang. I'm getting outdone by a demon. You wanna break free? Get to know the chain breaker. I told you, you like that point. See, I told her this morning, I was like, there's a few points that you're gonna love. Huh. See God if you wanna recognize and then seize a life changing moment. And the more desperate you are, the better. Like Jairus in verses 21 through 24. Who's Jairus? He's the head of the synagogue. This is like the leading man in the town, okay? So this is, like, this is like a dude with money and influence and power. He's got it all together. That's who Jairus is. And he comes to Jesus in the midst of this huge crowd, and he falls at his feet. Notice what the demon does when he comes to Jesus? He falls at his feet. What happens when the man who has it all comes to Jesus? He falls at his feet. Why? Because he can't do the one thing he most needs. And what is that? He cannot heal his daughter. And he is desperate for her not to die. And so he comes to Jesus, and he falls at his feet, and he begs him to heal her. And there's something hidden here in the text that is not obvious. Why is Jairus asking Jesus to heal his daughter? Because Jairus believes that Jesus can do it. Belief and desperation is what is driving Jairus to the feet of Jesus. Why else would he fall at his feet, this powerful, influential man, making a scene in front of this radical rabbi? Why else would he do it unless he was desperate and he truly believed that Jesus could help him? To you I ask this, do you even believe? And secondly, how desperate are you? That desperate one is for me. How desperate am I? How broken am I consistently before the Lord? Am I broken enough before the Lord that I would come to him and beg for him to touch me? to intervene in my life, to save my kids. Do you even believe? And how desperate are you? Look, most North Americans don't come to Jesus until they awaken to their need. Amen? That's why most people, when they first come to faith, they come broken. Because they're at their wit's end. They're like, I can't do it anymore. I need some help. That's why you as a Jesus follower need to watch for brokenness to show up in your friends' lives. Because the moment they're broken, they're open. Y'all feel me? That's when they're open, the moment they're broken. Open to receiving the message about Jesus. And often not before then. You may have a crisis of faith, you may have a crisis of urgency, or you may have a crisis of both. There's nothing like a good cataclysm to get your attention. Why do bad things happen to good people? To wake them up, to break their chains, to reveal to them their need of a Savior. Look, I just finished Deuteronomy, my personal devotions, this week. So I'm like, good, I'm finished the Pentateuch. Next comes Joshua, which is good, but I'm already dreading Judges because Judges sucks. Depressing. I'll probably never preach Judges. Watch me say that, and then God will tell me to preach Judges. Judges is just depressing. In fact, the only redemptive thing in Judges is that they're just like us. The people of Israel are morons, just like us. God keeps sending the messengers who they ignore, just like us. Judges. Maybe I will enjoy Judges this year. God is doing a new, woo. God is doing a new thing. All right, I'll receive it. So I just finished Deuteronomy 30, and what's really Freaking me out about Deuteronomy 30 is this binary. I don't know, it's not a very chic word these days. but Deuteronomy 30 is binary. This is either or type stuff going on here. If you remember me, everything's going to be good. If you forget me, all hell's going to break loose. Either or. So, um... <clears throat> What's it going to be? Like, we look at sickness and suffering and death. We realize in light of this that it's literally our fault. You're like, wait a minute, I'm sick because of me? Kind of. How does that work? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. The wages of sin is death. Because our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned in the Garden of Eden, disobeying God in the matter of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, things began to die. And that death has lived in us ever since. You know this from your own life. Anytime you sin against somebody, it kills something in that relationship. Can I get a witness? Anytime someone sins against you, something dies in that relationship. Am I right or am I right? I'm right. Y'all know it. The wages of sin is death. Even people who don't give a wit about Jesus know that the wages of sin is death. And he just said wit, W-H-I-T. Relax. Right? They don't care at all about Jesus, but they know in their guts that the wages of sin is death, which is why they hate it whenever someone sins against them. So, like, objectively, sickness, suffering, and death is Adam and Eve's fault. Subjectively, it's uh, my fault and yours, because we continually sin against God and each other. <sighs> which is why the world is such a miserable place. But, Jesus has made away this is why the gospel is so important because jesus christ god the son made flesh went to a cross to suffer and die in your place for your sin you're like how could he die once for the sins of the world because he's god in a body and we think about who god is he's big enough to frame the cosmos and the cosmos we keep checking it's pretty big so like the one who framed this pretty big cosmos has no problem at all as he hangs upon Calvary's tree, taking the sins of the world throughout all time and burying them in his body. And in this moment that is the hinge of cosmic history, your badness goes to Jesus and Jesus' goodness comes to you in the great exchange. And he offers himself once for all as the propitiation for your sin. He makes the payments that is due. He makes a way for you. He purchases freedom for you for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Oh bless the Lord for 2 Corinthians 5:21. To quote the great morality play that is Bad Boys 2, Jesus is the way, my brothers. Mm. You want to recognize and seize your life-changing moment? Get your butt to Jesus right quick, whatever it takes. Like the woman with the issue of blood. We meet her in verses 24 through 34. Twelve years this woman has been bleeding, meaning in Judaism she's ceremonially unclean, meaning she cannot participate in the communal life of her town for 12 years, and she spent everything she had to try and get better, but she's worse off than before. Here's the point for you, from the woman with the issue of blood. If you've been suffering a long time, you're not the only one. And what you need is Jesus, and your faith is a factor. Now don't worry, I'm not the kind of preacher to take this story and say that your healing depends 100% on your faith. Okay, that is not how I interpret this passage. When he says to her, woman, your faith has made you well. We need to understand that in the context of who's speaking and what he means. And The implication of those two things is this. As a Bible-preaching pastor who loves you, I would say this when it comes to faith and healing. Don't build your faith to try and get a result. Build your faith to get to know the God who lies at the root of it and leave the results to him. I could get a bigger amen for that. Amen. Never forget, by the way, that from heaven's perspective, death is a win. Because death got no sting no more and the grave got no victory no more. So every time a saint dies, it's one more saint around the throne, gathered in that throng that is worshiping the Lord. And if they come from our church, they've been practicing. Even if you're sick and it leads to death, you win because Jesus has conquered the grave. Leave the results to him. Look, audacious faith often lies on the other side of brokenness. I got shattered February of 2018. I'm talking shattered. Pow! Most of you don't know the story because I'm not allowed to talk about it. Shattered, destroyed, wrecked. And I have not found it entirely weird That on the other side of that cataclysmic event, I've been turning into a crazy person, praying for crazy things, because audacious faith lies on the other side of brokenness. It's when you've been broken and lost it all that you're like, well, heck, I might as well pray like the saints of old. Because what do I got to lose? The bigger you can make God in your life, the better. How do you make him big? I already done told you. You read your Bible so you can see his bigness. Outlined in the pages of scripture. You get to know that story to the point that it's intuitive. I was so excited to come to Mark 5 this week because, like, I know the story without even looking at it. I've read it that many times. I love it that much. My hope for you is that you come to that place where the pages of scriptures and the pages of scripture and the bigness of God are just intuitive to you. Because the bigger he is, the better you'll be. See that he's big, and so you'll worship, and I won't have to exhort you anymore. Look, like, one strum of the guitar. <laughs> roof goes off the joint why because full of people who are captivated by god's bigness keep coming listen to some madman preach about jesus from the pages of scripture whether it's me or someone else i don't care wherever it is if they're preaching the bible about jesus good keep going why because you see a big god and you realize that you're very small And you see that big God working in the context of that community of faith, doing incredible things that only God can do. And as you join with that community of faith to serve the city in which you live, you see God's power begin to partner with you in incredible ways. And you're like, oh, the bigger you make God, the more he fills your gaze, the more the reality of him impacts your perspective, the more your faith grows, the more audacious you become. Until you find yourself saying, without even thinking it, like the woman with the issue of blood, if I but touch his garment, I will be saved. That's what it says in the original language. I will be saved. And thank God it says that. Because wellness is good. But salvation is better. Salvation is better. Verse 34. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go and be healed of your scourge. Look, come to Jesus if you want to have peace. Come to Jesus, also known as take action. Part three, see, believe, act. Take action, find him in the crowd. Right? She finds him in the crowd. Interrupt him on his mission. What's he doing here? He's going to save Jairus' daughter. But no, the woman with the issue of blood has to stop him first. She's so desperate that she interrupts Jesus on his mission. Find him in the crowd. Interrupt him on his mission. Grab hold of the healer. Take action if you want to recognize and seize a life-changing moment. Then watch God act. Watch him move. Verses 35 through 43. What does Jesus do? The woman with the issue of blood is healed. And immediately, as Jesus is still speaking to her, some people show up from Jairus' house and they're like, too late, she's dead. Stop bothering the rabbi. And then Jesus says one of those Jesus things. He says, do not fear, only believe. This is the kind of thing you could write a song about. Do not, you could preach about this. You could build a life on this. Do not fear, only believe, verse 36. Jesus, you know, he says ridiculous things. He goes into the house where they're all weeping and wailing because the little girl is dead. And what does he say? He says the craziest thing ever. The child is not dead. She's only sleeping. She's just sleeping. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. You could take that and apply it to that dream in your life that you think is dead and hear the voice of Jesus saying back to you, it's not dead. It's only sleeping. It's only sleeping. I said it first service, I'll say it again. Someday I'm going to preach something like that in T.D. Jake's church. You watch what happens when you say that at T.D. Jake's church. That dream you have is not dead, it's just sleeping. Band starts up. People start running. Praise breaks out. Oh, why? Because that dream you had, it's not dead. It's just sleeping. How do we know? Because Jesus, uh, he says crazy things. He does the impossible See, Jesus sees things different than us. You're going to have to decide whose point of view you're going to build your life on. His or yours. Because he sees things different than you. Worship team, y'all, run to the stage you know. come join me up here on this. We're going to sing today. Okay, I mean it. I'm excited, but I mean it. Don't miss it. Like, why does I always get excited? Y'all know. Okay, don't miss it. Whose point of view are you building your life on? Yours or his? I want you to make sure that you're not quietly laughing him to scorn. God, I love you. I care about you. Jesus says, she's not dead. She's sleeping. And they laugh him to scorn. Make sure that by your conduct you are not quietly laughing the king of glory to scorn. Because you do not believe that he can do what he says can do. Because my dear friends, Jesus does the impossible. In verses 41 through 42, he walks into that little girl's room, and what does he do? He takes her by the hand, and he says to her, Talita, kumi. You know what this means? We interpret it wrongly. Little girl, I say to you, arise. You know what Talita is? It's probably her name. Tali is a very common name in Hebrew tradition. And when you put a ta on the end of Talita, it's a term of endearment. So here, the word made flesh, who framed her before the worlds began, walks into the world, into that room, and grabs the hand of this creature whom he foreknew. He calls her not just by her name, he calls her with a term of endearment, like she's his daughter, and he says to her, Talita, kumi, get up! Little girl, I say to you, arise. Friends, this is why I'm excited because jesus makes dead things live he is the chain breaker he's the scourge healer he's the death killer and he says to you get up and i was going to finish church with james brown today you're going to leave and you're going to hear get up get on up get up get on up but y'all know the rest of the song right so it's not appropriate for church i can preach on that when i preach through song of songs get up Get on up, right? Ah, This is what Jesus, the death killer, says to you. He says, get up! So, like the um, grave-dwelling Gadarene demoniac, like Jairus, the successful upstanding citizen at the end of his rope, like the bloody woman who's exhausted her options, and um, like Talita, look, um, grab a snack, because your life is about to change.